Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the best podcast ever. We're talking about Of Human Bondage, Chapter 50. What will Phil do? Um, what happened in the last chapter? I think I was half asleep. Um, wait, no, I know this. Um, oh yeah, Philip was talking about packing it in, giving up painting altogether. That's it. So I think, I feel like because we know that the author became a writer and it's semi-autobiographical, I feel like we know he's going to probably quit painting and start writing. Right? Do you reckon? Who knows? Sour Patch and Popcorn says, This book is resonating with me so much right now. I have the same feelings about my career path as Philip has about painting. Feelings of being second-rate adequate? Inadequate, do you mean? Second-rate adequate, good at... Oh, okay, adequate. As in only adequate. Good at imitating and towing the line but never coming into one's own. Lacking self-fulfillment and thinking about moving on to the next thing. Paris, Philip is 2020 Sour Patch and Popcorn. Oh, well... Sour Patch and Popcorn. I wonder what your career is and I don't know, you you've we've all heard of imposter syndrome. I have a lot of imposter syndrome. Sometimes when I'm writing my books or looking at my books or considering them, I just think, Are these shit? And I can't tell. I cannot tell. But other people seem to like them and that gives me confidence that I should do another one. Um but I'll tell you what did happen in my third book after 10 years of practicing the art form of being a writer is that I did start to feel like I was writing my own stuff rather than doing kind of imitations like you're saying or like kind of adequately copying what I thought was good writing. But by my third one, I started to feel like I was doing my own thing uh, that is kind of uniquely mine. And that's a good feeling when you feel like, oh, I've discovered my kind of little section of this art form. Uh, Laura Weistich said this, I think he's going to give up. If he's talking to other people about it, he's halfway there already. Good for him for following his dreams. Hopefully he enjoyed it and can now move on to the next thing. Um, yeah. I feel like he probably should give up the painting thing, but I do feel like the Paris artist scene suits him. So I hope he hangs around there, but maybe starts hanging out with some writers or something like that. I don't know. Hemingway did that, right? He hung out with writers, but he also hung out with painters and and artists of various types. It's just all kind of one big happy family. Ah, uh, makes me want to watch Midnight in Paris again. That's a good film. Okay, let's read on. Chapter L1, LI51, goes like this. Oh, wait, before we do that. I almost forgot advertisement time. Podcast is brought to you by my novel, Personal Fable. You can get it at andalewis.com. Uh, that's the one I just spoke of where I felt like I came into my own in some way um there you go that's an ad now let's read chapter 51 51 41 51 41 51 two months passed it seemed to philip brooding over these matters that in the true painters writers musicians there was a power which drove them to such complete absorption in their work 
as to make it inevitable for them to subordinate life to art, succumbing to an influence they never realised they were merely dupes of the instinct that possessed them and life slipped through their fingers unlived. But he had a feeling that life was to be lived rather than portrayed, and he wanted to search out the various experiences of it and wring from each moment all the emotion that it offered. He made up his mind at length to take a certain step and abide by the result, and having made up his mind, he determined to take the step at once. Luckily enough, the next morning was one of Foynet's days, and he resolved to ask him point-blank whether it was worth his while to go on with the study of art. He had never forgotten the master's brutal advice to Fanny Price. It had been sound. Philip could never get Fanny entirely out of his head. The studio seemed strange without her, and now and then the gesture of one of the women working there or the tone of a voice would give him a sudden start, reminding him of her. Her presence was more noticeable now, she was dead, than it ever had been during her life, and he often dreamed of her at night, waking up with a cry of terror. It was horrible to think of all the suffering she must have endured. Philip knew that on the days Foynet came to the studio, he lunched at a little restaurant in the Rue d'Odessa, and he hurried his own meal so that he could go and wait outside till the painter came out. Philip wait, walked up and down the crowded street, and at last saw Monsieur Foynet walking with a bent head towards him. Philip was very nervous, but he forced himself to go up to him. Pardon, Monsieur, I should like to speak to you for one moment. Foynet gave him a rapid glance, recognised him, but did not smile a greeting. Speak, he said. I've been working here nearly two years now under you, and I wanted to ask you to tell me frankly if you think it is worth while for me to continue. Philip's voice was trembling a little. Foynet walked on without looking up. Philip, watching his face, saw no trace of expression upon it. I don't understand. I'm very poor. If I have no talent, I would sooner do something else. Don't you know if you have talent? All my friends know they have talent, but I am aware some of them are mistaken. Foynet's bitter mouth outlined the shadow of a smile, and he asked, Do you live near here? Philip told him where his studio was. Foynet turned around. Let us go there. We shall, you shall show me your work. Now, cried Philip. Why not? Philip had nothing to say. He walked silently by the master's side. He felt horribly sick. It had never struck him that Foynet would wish to see his things there, and then he meant so that he might have time to prepare himself to ask him if he would mind coming at some future date, or whether he might bring them to Foynet's studio. He was trembling with anxiety. In his heart he hoped that Foynet would look at his picture, and that rare smile would come into his face, and he would shake Philip's hand and say, Pasmal, go on, my lad. You have talent, real talent. Philip's heart swelled at the thought. It was such a relief, such a joy. Now he could go on with courage, and what did hardship matter, privation and disappointment, if he arrived at last? He had worked very hard. It would be too cruel if all that industry were futile. And then, with a start, he remembered that he had heard Fanny Price say just that. They arrived at the house, and Philip was seized with fear. If he had dared, he would have asked Foynette to go away. He did not want to know the truth. They went in, and the concierge handed him a letter as they passed. He glanced at the envelope and recognised his uncle's handwriting. Foynette followed him up the stairs. Philip could think of nothing to say. Foynette was mute, and the silence got on his nerves. The professor sat down, and Philip, without a word, placed before him the picture which, which the salon had rejected. 
Foynette nodded at it but did not speak. Then Philip showed him the two portraits he had made of Ruth Chalice, three or f- two or three landscapes which he had painted at Moray, and a number of sketches. That's all, he said presently with a nervous laugh. Monsieur Foynette rolled himself a cigarette and lit it. You have very little private means, he asked at last. Very little, answered Philip, with a sudden feeling of cold at his heart, not enough to live on. There is nothing so degrading as the constant anxiety about one's means of livelihood. I have nothing but contempt for the people who despise money. They are hypocrites or fools. Money is like a sixth sense, without it which you cannot make a complete use of the other five. Without an adequate income, half the possibilities of life are shut off. The only thing to be careful about is that you do not pay more than a shilling for the shilling you earn. You will hear people say that poverty is the best spur to the artist. They have never felt the iron of it in their flesh. They do not know how mean it makes you. It exposes you to endless humiliation. It cuts your wings. It eats into your soul like a cancer. It is not wealth, one asks for, but just enough to preserve one's dignity, to work unhampered, to be generous, frank, and independent. I pity with all my heart the artist, whether he writes or paints, who is entirely dependent for subsistence upon his art. Philip quietly put away the various things which he had shown. I'm afraid that sounds as if you don't think didn't think I had much chance. Monsieur Foynette slightly shrugged his shoulders. You have a certain manual dexterity. With hard work and perseverance, there is no reason why you should not become a careful, if not not incompetent painter. You would find hundreds who painted worse than you. Hundreds who painted as well. I see no talents in anything you have shown me. I see industry and intelligence. You will never be anything but mediocre. Philip obliged himself to answer quite steadily, I'm very grateful to you for having taken so much trouble. I can't thank you enough. Monsieur Foynette got up and made as if to go, but he changed his mind and, stopping, put his hand on Philip's shoulder. But if you were to ask me my advice, I would say, take your courage in both hands and try your luck at something else. It sounds very hard, but let me tell you this. I would give all I have in in the world if someone had given me that advice when I was your age and I had taken it. Philip looked up at him with surprise. The master forced his lips into a smile, but his eyes remained grave and sad. It is cruel to discover one's mediocrity only when it is too late. It does not improve the temper. He gave a little laugh as he said the last words and quickly walked out of the room. Philip mechanically took up the letter from his uncle. The sight of his handwriting made him anxious, for it was his aunt who always wrote to him. She had been ill for the last three months, and he had offered to go over to England to see her, but she, fearing it would interfere with his work, had refused. She did not want him to put himself to inconvenience. She said she would wait till August, and then she hoped he would come and stay at the vicarage for two or three weeks. If by any chance she grew worse, she would let him know. Since she did not wish to die without seeing him again, if his uncle wrote to him it must be, because she was too ill to hold a pen, Philip opened the letter, and it ran as follows. Dear, my dear Philip, I regret to inform you that your aunt, dear aunt, departed this life early this morning. She died very suddenly, but quite peacefully. The change for the worse was so rapid that we had no time to send for you. She was fully prepared for the end and entered into rest with the complete assurance of a blessed resurrection and with resignation to the divine will, will of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. Your aunt would have liked you to be present at the funeral, so I trust you will come as soon as you can. There is naturally a great deal of work thrown upon my shoulders and I am very much upset. I trust that you will be able to do everything for me. Your affectionate uncle, William Carey. 
All right, there we go. There's the chapter done. Eek, another twist death ending. God damn it. All right, have your say about that one over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.